0: All right, good morning, afternoon, whenever the heck you're listening to this from, it is technically Friday, but yeah, Friday the 8th of October in our wonderful year 2021, the year that just will not end. We're going to go through a whole bunch of stuff. we got some crypto world stuff, tech world stuff, investment world stuff. Matt's got some fun stuff he wants to talk about, an awesome business idea if anyone wants to capitalize it, and I'm going to do a little company highlight. Uh, And before we get started, I don't know if you boys knew, but we are, I guess, in a coal shortage. China is cutting down on all of their production, and it's totally going to affect all of us. So if you've ever wanted to get rid of your diesel truck, sell it to me for cheap and go get an electric car.
1: coal shortage. Man, we got a shortage on everything nowadays. I would have never guessed coal shortage though of all things. Literally everything. It's
0: unbelievable. So in the real estate world, this is interesting because we not only have a shortage of stuff, but we have a shortage of people who want to do things with stuff. And what I mean by that is like, every time we want to do something, we need someone who needs to do like a survey, environmental work, anything like that. You go grab a GC, general contract or anything like that. And you grab them and say, "All right." Uh, Can you do this work for me? We're ready to pay you quite a bit of money. And they say, awesome. It's going to be three months. And we say, really? I said, yeah, we're backed up. We don't have anyone working for us. And where this led me to think is I was like, all right, well, the next generation of kids is going to come along and they're going to be apprentices and they're going to start doing all this stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, that's not true at all. Everyone went to college to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or
1: I don't like an insurance salesman or something. So we could be screwed for a long time. Yeah, this whole generation going through high school was told... Go to college, go to college, go to college. All our parents, like, go to college. Everyone predicated and praised the college education so much for the last 20 years. We have no laborers or anyone else to do the other very important jobs that are required for society to function.
0: Yep. I know we got suckers like Matt over here who are in med school. I'm going to be a doctor. Ha, what a loser. But, you know, the rest (laughs) of us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I, I have friends, I have plenty of friends who ended up not going to college, and they talk about it kind of in like a, like a hush-hush way, and I said, no, like, you going to work as an electrician, you're going to end up making way more money than the rest of us in two years than we're going to make in eight years, so more power to you.
2: I think I even saw a graph once where someone, like, they took and they compared a doctor's salary, like... Everything from taking out loans to med school oh, yeah, the loans. to how much you work, and they did a graph where they compared it to someone who would work the same amount of hours as a doctor would for UPS, and the graphs didn't intersect until after age forty.
0: Did that take into account so, like um, like company benefits and stuff too, four hundred one ks and all that?
2: That would be interesting. I'm not sure on the specifics, but like basically, it said that like until after age forty, that. The ups driver is going to be doing better off than the person who goes to med school goes to undergrad becomes a doctor has all these loans to pay off and then like it was a pretty big difference after there but like who knows i mean that was just like if they were doing like just the uh like a driver position. So So they could move up in a company. Yeah,
0: it's like tortoise in the hare, literally like the epitome of that story is, you know, he didn't have to sprint till the end and they still lost. But I don't know. I think you're still going to win as a doctor. (laughs) I'd still bet on you. But at the same time, there's a whole lot of other baggage that comes along with it. Like I've seen how hard you work on your kind of stuff. God, you're earning it. But all right. Apart from that, we'll uh, we'll get started in crypto world. So. I saw something pretty interesting. I know we talk about NFTs a lot, just because it's like a hot hype, young, new industry, and it makes no sense. And that is the absolute gosh darn beauty of it. Uh, The sales were eight times higher this quarter, this past quarter, which is quarter three of 2021, than they were in quarter two, which was the summer. And the funny thing is, people usually talk about, you know, in September, we get like the September blues for the stock market and all that stuff, but the alternative markets were booming. And I'm kind of wondering if there's a way to play that. So my big question was: We've seen these cycles before. We've seen it like five times now. I know the beginning of this year was kind of like the official hot hype time for NFTs. It was like when everyone was like kind of starting to get into it, and then it dies, and then it comes back, then it dies, then it comes back. Is it officially a market or is it still a cycle? I don't
1: know. I think it's here to stay. Uh, personally, maybe not NFT specifically. Maybe you know the next big hot item might come out in the crypto world, uh, whether it has something to do with the metaverse that Mark Zuckerberg is so high on, um, or something else, yeah, but um, I I saw something the other day that said why NFTs or the crypto world in general is going to continue to grow, and it's because young people today are growing up in an age where their attachment is literally to everything that is digitally owned, and we kind of touched on this with our last episode with the verified check mark, I know we got into that a little bit but they place so much value and attachment into things like their followers um nfts such as trading cards art think about the snapchat bitmoji something that they take pride in um it's a good point all these digitally owned uh collectibles almost is how you could describe them is just going to make so much more sense to this younger generation to whereas if they look at a, a bond or, or a um uh of regular stock and and try to get into that? Or are they gonna look at these collectible NFTs and put their money into that?
0: Right. And it's all about educating people on how value works. And I think it's actually a really good thing. We talk a lot about how value works in general and the basis of value according to myself. And I know you agree with me here is a thing is only worth what someone else will pay for it. I'm literally gonna get it tattooed somewhere in my body. I love it. It's my favorite saying because it's so gosh darn true. And it's, it's gonna be really nice if we grow up in an, in like in a world where the generation and the second generation below us kinda understands that. It's gonna make deals go quicker, business is gonna be smoother, and everyone's gonna be happy because we're all gonna understand. Like This is how we put things together. And there's no definitive way to value something besides what you can actually get from it from someone else. I love thinking about that. It's, I think it's such an optimistic way of looking at the world.
1: Yeah? I definitely agree. Um, I, I think that's uh, where we're headed for sure. Um, definitely would, like you said, make business transactions go smoother, make everyone happier. Well, well think about sales. Um, it's it, like Sales is such
0: a, it's such a painful industry and it's so difficult. And like, I know our parents and our grandparents both grew up in a totally different sales environment than we do. We did not grow up in a sales environment. We grew up in a marketing environment, which is like the antithesis of sales. So I, I, I'm sure you can back me up here, but Back in the day, it was literally you didn't have any reach besides what you, what you went out and actively went to reach that day. Nowadays, you can pay three different companies a fraction of as much as you're going to make from the sales you'll make off their work. They'll go out and do the marketing for you, reach thousands and thousands of people, and the people whose your product can actually benefit will reach out and get to you directly. It's like it's just it's a purely seamless transaction. There's, there's so much less friction.
1: Yeah. And even talking about sales, um, you made me think of a, uh, of a great movie, um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. If you've never seen it, go watch it. I've never seen uh, it. It's all, all about uh, salesmen and selling before the age of iPhones and the internet. Um, it's, uh, it's got a young Al Pacino in it. Oh man, It's a, it's a great movie. Oh, um, but essentially, uh, you see them go out and knock on doors at, 730 at night right after dinner and go into random people's homes and try to sell them real estate yeah. and it's crazy and it's just it's such a different world that even people our age in their 20s don't even know about or recognize um and and you got to think about all the data these days as well compared to what they had back then when they were just knocking on doors they don't have that data and like you said there's companies out there like verizon they have so much data any cell phone carrier google and the data they have can be pertinent to almost any industry just think about how verizon pretty much knows everywhere you go at any time of the day if you have them as your carrier apple knows where you go at any time of the day they're always tracking you they ping you it's gps they know where you are and what you do and what you like that's a great point and
0: and to that point to add that on this has been a big argument in the tech world, and especially in the DeFi world, the decentralized finance world, is everyone's like, wait a minute, these companies gather all this damn information from us and they use it and they sell the information they gather from us. That's our information. Aren't we entitled to it? Don't we get to choose where it gets sold? And shouldn't we profit off that? Which I totally think we should. I think that is the one best way to even the playing field. I mean, if you want to get into the social arguments of and social inequality and money and all that stuff, I don't, and I refuse to. Uh, simply because it's it's just an argument that you can't win no matter where you stand on it. But if you really want to tackle that problem, allow people to sell the most <laughs> free thing they have, which is literally their preferences, tastes, and what they'd like to buy. That is such an easy way to give people money to make decisions. It's awesome. I think that's the future.
1: It's coming. Um, it's not here yet, but it'll be here. I have full faith in it. it can't I don't know so in enough. what, what uh, way, shape, or form, but... Uh, the, eventually one day, I feel like uh, the way everything's moving towards a sharing economy. um, And I know I touched on this in the past with things like Uber and Airbnb. uh, Eventually, there'll be a way to cut out the middleman and let us sell our data to the companies that we trust and like in return for a discounted product or service. I agree.
0: And well, all right, we're gonna do one more piece of this. And then we're gonna move on to tech stuff. But this this always makes me think of like the survey companies like I'm sure you've gotten ads for yeah, anywhere they'll be like, answer these 20 questions and we'll pay you 10 bucks. And you know, some of them work, some of them don't, sometimes they're not the, the good deal that they sound, but it used to be that way is like, they would pay consumers to answer questions because they needed to know who was more likely to do what to determine the psychology to sell their product better. And that little $10 meant nothing compared to the hundreds of dollars they'd make from the sales from that data. So that's, that's usually where I go to from that.
1: Yeah, whenever you think of it in that context, um it just seems like, too, if you if you throw a little $5 voucher in front of someone, they're going to value the time it's going to take to complete that survey a lot more than that $5 little voucher that they're going to hand out, because we talk about all the time as well, how time is your most valuable resource. But um, I'm confident someone's going to get it right, nail it on the head. Um, obviously, the large tech companies are going to fight it like hell because they <laughs> don't want to give that up, they but too much money we'll it. see what happens.
0: Yeah. No, it's uh, I can't remember the percentage. I'm I'm really annoyed that I can't remember, but it is a hot majority of Google, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all those companies, a hot majority of their business to sell data. That's what it is. It's advertising and selling data. That's how they make money. But that's a great transition into tech world, which is the next one. So I saw an awesome statistic that made me not feel like an old person for once because most things do. And while I'm in my mid-20s, everything seems moving really, really fast these days. So there was a company that did a poll among a couple thousand teens these days, and it turns out that Snapchat is still outpacing TikTok use by 5%. That makes me really happy. It was like 35% of teens use Snapchat, 30% use TikTok. I think it's way higher than that, actually. I think a lot of people lied, but point being, I'm really happy because I still use Snapchat and I still really enjoy it. And some people are like, you still use Snapchat? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, the world moves too fast. Leave me alone. Like, I, I can't keep up. I have a real job. <laughs>
1: I love Snapchat. Uh, I'll never stop using it. I remember when it first came out. I mean, it was our generation. That was our hot. That was like our TikTok oh, have yeah. you. tock. Uh, oh, yeah. Obviously, you could say vine as well. But that died out and Snapchat never went away. I. But I, I mean, I still remember when it was like, you went into middle school one day and everyone was like, Oh, did you see this app Snapchat? And, and you're like, "Well, What's this? Yep. And uh, I remember the days where you could creep on people and see who their top three best <laughs> friends were. And then Next thing you know, you, you're getting into a little fight at school because why is she on your best friends yeah. list, huh?
0: Then you're breaking up with your middle <laughs> school girlfriend, and it's all over.
1: <laughs> yeah. life, life is bad. <laughs> it's like I don't Snapchat anyone. I snapped her one time; and she just popped up like uh, the the old seventh grade glory days.
0: I wonder if that was literally at the time in which tech started destroying our lives. I wonder, like that was the literally exact moment where we realized we know too much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Could have been MySpace. Like it
2: was just a. It's just a copied feature from MySpace forever yeah. ago. It used to have like your top 10 friends list on there too. So I feel like every single tech company that comes out with these new social media things is just kind of pilfering things from different ones. Just like like, a, uh, like Instagram stole basically Snapchat stories and they put them on there. And so I know all of the girls pretty much moved over. Okay, now you can post your picture to you have on everybody's feed, but you also got a story to keep up with your daily life. Like everything's just slowly shifting from one to another back
0: and forth. I agree. And I know we were talking about that before in the pre-show and I am totally one of those girls who changed over Is like, I used to post a bunch of Snapchat stories. I enjoyed it. It's fun interacting with people. You see something funny on the side of the road and you're like, oh, this is great. Write a funny caption. Boom. 10 people that you haven't talked to in a while reach out and you're like, oh, this is great. I didn't know I had friends. Now it's easier on Instagram because you reach a much wider audience. But I also thought it was really funny. The other thing we talked about is that Twitter totally tried it and Twitter is, I will argue, the most influential social media app of our age. It is actively destroying society as we know it. But um, they totally tried the story thing and just fell flat on their face. Like it didn't work at all.
1: And it was kind of beautiful to watch. Yeah, Twitter, you kind of don't even need, st- you don't even need a story on Twitter if you think about the way the different mediums are set up because Twitter's already set up to get you fast little snippets of information um, in real time. And yep. it's, uh, you know, it's just swipe and go. Instagram, and Snapchat more so, Snapchat you kind of need the stories if you want to reach a larger audience than one person or just a group, it's just convenient. And uh, Instagram, you know, it, it it makes sense as well because you can post one picture one time and it'll be there forever, but obviously it'll die out the more other people post and get buried and it's irrelevant. But if you want to get like a one little quick marketing it's not even marketing. If you want to share information or it's almost like their way to compete with Twitter's platform. You're just sharing information, a little snippet of information. And it's gone in 24 hours. It's perfect. That's Whereas true. Twitter, you don't even need a story because you just tweet it out and it's boom. There's your little snippet of information right there.
0: Speed information is absolutely true. And I know Joey, we were talking with an, a lovely friend of the program and she was very helpful to us the other week about Instagram and how the algorithm works. She works in marketing. And basically what she told us was, look, If you're not constantly posting stuff, the algorithm will recalculate and only show you new things. It will not actively show you old posts from other people. So it forces you to constantly put stuff out there and always have fresh stuff. So even if you have a wall full of awesome art and stories, if you're not constantly creating new things, it filters you out. That's nuts to me, but you know, the speed of information is
1: just crazy these days. It's too much information. I always think about uh, one of my favorite quotes of all time. I heard it for the first time in maybe sixth grade. Whenever we read, um, what was it called? Can't remember the name of the book, but "Ignorance is Bliss." Yeah. Did I learned that. No, yeah, that's that true. That is uh, one of the most truest things I've ever heard. The less you know, the happier you are. Yeah.
0: That is true. Facebook's going through some crazy things right now. Uh, So they've gotten like, I think, three whistleblowers now in the past week or so that have all come out and been like, yeah, this is the most corrupt culture of all time. Mark Zuckerberg is tearing everything apart. It's all metric based. If you don't hit the metrics, you're gone. And even the decision to make things metric based was metric based. That's a lot to unpack. And I think if you thought Facebook was a happy, beautiful culture, I, I don't really know what to tell you at that point. It's a social media company. It literally exists to feed you things that make you upset.
1: Yeah, they thrive on controversy. That's the whole point of, uh, I mean, that's what generates news is controversy.
2: Yeah.
1: That's um, what you want. Um, if there's no moment. controversy or any breaking news, like if everyone was tweeting, it was a beautiful day outside today. <laughs> <laughs> no one's gonna sit on your app and read that. I think I, I'm you sure. need polarizing statements, news. That is the whole point of social media.
0: It's true. I think I told, I, I may have said this once in the show. I'm sure I've told you before, but there was a point in time, it was probably close to 100 years now, or over the radio, it was over in Britain when the news was kind of like a new thing. Whereas, you know, no, it was less than 100 years. They're definitely on TV because the uh, British broadcasting channel came on, <laughs> they came on everyone's TV and said, there is no news. And then they played smooth jazz for an hour and a half. And that was the evening show. <laughs> and I was like, dude, people would lose their flipping minds.
1: <laughs> oh, i love that if I was cooking dinner and they came on and said, nothing bad happened today. Yeah. Have a great evening.
0: Anxiety it's out the window. Rude. Everyone is good.
1: It would be so yeah. nice. Imagine that. Nowadays, you got companies and different news networks reporting things that might not even be true, just to just scare the shit out of you. Just to get things going. All
0: right, you want to do your uh, your Apple thing?
1: Yeah. So I was uh, little little update. I saw Google is releasing a Pixel Watch alongside the Google Pixel Six. Ooh, so at first, I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's an original Google idea. Out, <laughs> yeah, Google putting out a watch. Um, I guess they're competing with the Apple Watch. But then I thought how many people realistically even have a Google Pixel? Yeah, And then that got me thinking, does Apple unofficially, officially have a monopoly (laughs) on the cell phone market? Because my dad actually considered switching to the Samsung Galaxy uh, Z Flip. It's that new flip phone they just put out. Mm -hmm. But I told him, I said, dad, then you're gonna lose group messages. So you can't be in any of the family group chats. I can't FaceTime you. So you're not gonna be able to video call with me. I was, and I was like, I'm gonna be extremely annoyed if every time I text you a little green bubble pops up instead of a blue bubble. you hate so, the green.
0: <laughs> so this is funny. Did you see? Um, did you see the, the press release about Bryson DeChambeau and his uh, his Google or his uh, Android phone? no what happened oh this is great somebody was ragging on bryson DeChambeau, and they were like yeah we like brooks kepka but these are both golfers professional golfers by the way it's like yeah we we don't like bryson DeChambeau in our tournament because he's the only one who doesn't have an iphone and he ruins all the group messages and that's why we don't like him and i just thought that was so funny i was like of all the people that makes perfect sense <laughs> it's like <laughs> the one guy to not have an iphone <laughs>
1: It's true that nothing's worse whenever you have a group message and it gets all messed up because one person doesn't have an iPhone. And it just ruins And it. they've almost created a monopoly by forcing you to get involved in the Apple ecosystem and be connected Jeez. to the Appleverse, yep. as I call it. I love the
0: Appleverse. I'm so involved, and I, I haven't. I yep. I got a MacBook Pro. I've got an iPhone. I want an Apple Watch. I love it. I love everything is simple, and I'm stupid, so it works out great.
1: Yeah. So it makes me wonder why are Samsung and Google still, and even Microsoft still trying to compete in the phone space whenever I'm sure their resources could be used elsewhere, you know?
0: Dunno. Couldn't tell you. But now that we're going to move in from tech into investment world, I got some fun news, some Florida news. I like Florida news. And I know we've talked about this in the past briefly. ARK Investments, which is Kathy Wood's firm that got super famous for they, they formed all these big investment funds that were like tech only and they, you know, Tesla, everything, they did all this stuff where basically they only bet on these big tech companies and they double tripled and killed it over the past year and a half, just absolutely demolished everyone. But they got popular and they got all their funding purely because of how popular she was on social media. So everyone comes in, pours money into these funds and the funds don't need to do well. They literally get jacked up simply because all the money's coming in. So they're moving to Florida. They're leaving their New York office. Just another reason why everyone hates New York. And they're starting this innovation center. So they're like basically focusing not on picking the companies that have already been developed and going to go further, but finding the startups and the small little entrepreneur companies that are uh, going to be fighting through, you know, the growth stages. And the ones they're going to try to find the ones that are going to succeed. And I think that's pretty awesome. That is awesome.
1: I mean... That's a that's a great idea, and I think it's funny you said that she's leaving New York. It seems like a ton of people are leaving New York. I actually heard that Manhattan specifically isn't as safe as it used to be, just because of the lack of foot traffic and all the businesses shipping out of there.
0: Yeah, now everyone doesn't want to go specifically because of the taxes. The taxes suck. Everyone, nobody wants to be there. Smog, it's a pain in a ass. So another win for Florida. I'm kind of proud of that. Love Florida, but you know the whole point of this is basically to say this is great. Let's start giving individual like let's give the entrepreneurs more power. And I know my boy, Naval Ravikant, talks about that a lot. I know Matt knows who that is. And Joey, you know, you're probably sick of hearing me talk about him by now. But he's all about, look, take the angel funds and just put them everywhere. Like, we need to get funding to the people with all the creative ideas. I love that stuff. I agree. But it's an
2: interesting area to stick the new firm at is down in, like, St. Petersburg. It's, like, pretty much everything from, like, Tampa to Naples on Florida's west coast is boom. Right, But it's not booming with young people with new ideas. It's where all the retirees are going. Well, I disagree. They're moving from those big cities.
0: No, Tampa's a Tampa's a tech hotspot nowadays.
2: Tampa's getting there, and it has a decent amount of, like, young people. But, like, everything's south from, like, because I'm right south of Tampa and St. Pete, mm-hmm. which is Bradenton and Sarasota, which is old people in golf clubs. Right. And then you kind of go through an area where it's a little bit more rural, and then you hit, like, Cape Coral, Fort Myers, Naples. And it just is more golf clubs and really old people. It's not young people and new ideas. And it's booming. There's tons of people moving into the area. But like, I don't know if it's the ideal area to find what they're looking for necessarily.
0: Maybe. Well, I know the growth in Jacksonville, at least, is going south and west. And I'm kind of wondering if Tampa's going south and east. Because, obviously, they have different coasts, different sides. I don't know. Demographics are always really interesting to me.
2: it'll definitely be interesting to see because like yeah it is all kind of blending where like sarasota and bradenton have all just become one area yep and st petersburg isn't that far north we're just one bridge away from it essentially so it's like literally a 20 minute drive from me who's in the sarasota bradenton area into st Pete.
0: doesn't help that they have a killer football team that's really fun to watch
2: <laughs> but only recently though i mean they used to be more relevant than jacks
0: yeah. so yeah, that's true. Then they got a massive rework. All right. Okay. We've we've done this one enough. So we'll move on to BlackRock. I love BlackRock News just because they're so flipping big and they run the whole world. Um, they, they put out a big old announcement today or yesterday from when this is recorded that they're going to start letting their large investors. And that doesn't mean like large individual investors. That means like pension funds, investment managers, like massive, massive contributors. They're going to let them make votes on pretty much anything governance wise. So like, if they wanna pursue projects that have a whole lot of uh, climate change issues and all that kind of stuff, they can veto that. Uh, Anything from like voting on the board members, making sure, so like, I think it's a really cool way of a giant firm making themselves a little tiny bit smaller. I mean, like they're still the biggest in the whole world and they're still only allowing massive people to have a say, but it's a step in the right direction.
1: Yeah, more power to the people more freedom. I, I definitely think that's a common theme that we've seen, uh, especially talking about the DeFi world as well. Yeah. Um, if, if the investment world wants to keep up with the DeFi world, I think more companies are gonna have to move towards this. And then I, I see here as well, um, that now we just got to get the individual investors the ability to start groups and vote on stuff like this, which is kind of the way a lot of these NFT groups have already done, Where as long as you own the NFT, you have voting power on what the, the minds behind the NFTs do next with it. Right. So they're
0: all community-based, which is I mean, that the successful ones
1: are and the unsuccessful ones aren't. Exactly. So these larger companies, if they want to keep up with it and exist cohesively with the, uh, the crypto world, which I know we kind of touched on Tuesday as well. Again, they both exist together. I think giving your investors voting rights, um, is a great step in the right direction
0: yeah well if you own shares of any public company you do technically have voting rights common stock does allow you to make a vote on pretty much anything and sit in but nobody does it's so old-fashioned and kind of broken because you have to like literally mail your proxy in and all this stuff so the system is literally rigged in a way in which you're you don't it's the illusion of power like you technically have votes but your votes don't count for shit they don't mean anything so i don't know it's a step forward and i'm happy about it all right Matt, I think you're up next.
2: All right, so I'm gonna talk about public service loan forgiveness for all those people out there like me who are going <laughs> to a public servant field and have a ton of loans creeping behind them. So basically this thing was created in 2003 by the government and it's supposed to pay off your loans if you're going to work for the government or a nonprofit profit 5013 company. But the thing is, is that like, it's been around since 2003, And only 2% of those people that have applied have ever gotten any money at all. So it's been around for almost 20 years now and only 2% of them have gotten any money. But the ones that have, they've gotten roughly $75,000 per person, which is life-changing for those people that are going into some field that isn't paying that well. Like if you're going to be a nurse or a teacher, that is huge.
0: Well, that probably cuts down what, like five years of loans?
2: I mean, it just depends on how much your uh, income is, on, like, how long you take to pay it off. But to do this, I mean, you have to submit 120 qualifying payments, and there's tons of strict regulations on how exactly you had to do them and what qualified is a uh, qualifying payment and what, uh, like, company that you work for qualified for it as a 501 3C and all this other stuff. And so, like, no one got approved. And they just changed it all as of a couple of days ago. And they said, hey, we realized that things are all messed up. We're going to fix it. We're going to kind of relax these regulations a little bit on this. So that way more people can get approved. Because since 2003, I mean, this was supposed to help out tons of students. Only 290 million were paid out, which came out to roughly 1,000 per applicant on average.
0: It's not very much. Was Was it like spread across the board or was it, you know... A few got a ton and a few got basically none.
2: So most people got none. Like I said, only 2% of those applied got any money at all. Yeah. So like you had roughly 100% chance of getting nothing. Sheesh. But the ones that got money on average got $75,000. But And they put out a statistic that said that there's $115 billion in student loans that are eligible for public service loan forgiveness right now. Of people that are working in fields that could qualify to and are making qualifying payments on their loans that could qualify to get this public service loan forgiveness but like only 290 million so like way less than one percent have even gotten like any money that could qualify for
0: yeah isn't it funny how 290 million sounds so big until you compare it to anything in the billions (laughs) i always think it's so funny it's like billions is such an enormous number it's hard to imagine
2: I mean, but even like two hundred and ninety is a huge, huge like when you look at it that like medical students walk out with like what three hundred thousand dollars in loans.
0: Yeah, that itself sounds good so to me.
2: So if you divide that by the three hundred thousand dollars, that's only no that math is way wrong. I'll have to redo <laughs> that math. <laughs> I yeah. don't know how to divide that in my head. <laughs> so two hundred and ninety million is that's 290 million, you divide that by 300,000. That's only roughly 1,000 med students worth of loans. That's not very many med students.
0: Do you know how many other are there are currently?
2: How many
0: what? Do you know how many med students there are currently in the United
2: States? I'm curious. Oh, it's huge. Uh, it's I'll give it be a quick Google. That feels going like crazy.
0: All right, well, in, in the interest of time, we'll grab that and then we're gonna do your business idea and then we'll wrap up, is that all right?
2: Sure, there's currently 45,000 med students right now. Jeez.
0: Yeah, that's actually, that's lower than I thought, but that's still a ton. Jesus,
2: man. So it's like they forgave 2% of all med students' loans, current med students.
0: What a shame. Broken system. Okay. Fixed insurance, too. I got it. All right, let's do your business idea. So we were shooting the shit before the show, and this always happens where, like, the best stuff comes out whenever we're not recording. So I, I totally want to go into this. You had this awesome idea where you're like, all right, what if... Music artists could basically turn their songs, albums, or their talent in general into an asset that is tradable, and you know you could buy and sell it on an open market and let the open market decide what the price might be. And you know the the joke was like we would buy Mariah Carey and um, Michael Bublé around Christmas time because that's a sure bet because everyone listens to that kind of stuff. And I, I thought I think it's a genius idea. I don't know how it would work, but it sounds like so much fun. <laughs>
2: So you want to buy them around Christmas. You buy them in like July and wait and
0: sell it. Oh, buy the dip. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because everyone's listening at Christmas, but nobody does, except all the white moms in America who all listen to Christmas music in August.
2: All the uh, Game Boy and or not GameStock and AMC people are going to be hopping on the To the Moon train <laughs> around Christmas. And that's when you start selling it off to yeah.
0: them. And they get the one jump in there. Yeah. <laughs> I love that stuff I was curious I'll bet this has been done before because I know you can you can invest in pretty much anything from like shares in classic cars to I I mean I own a thousand shares of a painting from some dude in the 80s like I just for funsies it's it's hilarious you can buy you can buy shares in anything these days so I was curious to see if it's been done and my other question was Joey you're probably interested in this what happens when like a remix by someone else does better who gets the intellectual property because I know you're a big remix guy too
1: yeah that's tough um, I do know one of my favorite remixes and th- this is what it made, immediately made me think of there there are these two brothers out there and they put together hour long compilations of like
2: oh, tons two of different
1: songs yep it's called the Big Booty Mix oh, yeah. I think they're on volume 20 coming out here soon but they are wildly successful and all it is is a bunch of artists songs mashed up so, yeah, into
0: like an hour and a half, and they pile them together, they do goofy transitions, and they remix every single one of our favorite songs from when we were like, I don't know, what, 15, 16, and then just go from there. It's a genius idea. So like, those guys should realistically be making millions, but they're not because the music industry is so
1: messed up. The music industry, man, I, it, that it, that's another industry that needs fixed. We talk a lot about different things that need fixed, and it's that's busted. one of the long ones on the list between the education system... Um, outdated cities (laughs) the list goes on and on
0: well thank god you know britney's free and all that kind of stuff finally got that going Mm -hmm. what a mess all right so go ahead matt
2: go ahead now i was gonna gonna solve the issue (laughs) to solve the issue you'd have to find like someone would have to fractionally calculate out like okay how much is has the remix changed the song or whatever and from the original to make it worth more or less than what the original person put out because like you can just put bass boost and a few other fun transitions on there and that changes it up like what, 2% of the song. Does that mean you get 2% of the revenue off the remix and 98% of the intellectual property of that song goes to the person who created the original one or? Well,
0: I think think the deal would just be structured however they want. Like If it was me who remixed the song, I would straight up go to the artist and be like, hey, I literally just want 20% because I think my remix is so much better than yours. You get 80%. Who's gonna say no to that? They're gonna be like, yeah, dude, free money. I have to do no work, right? And it just brings popularity to the real song. At least that's how I'd structure that. But what do I know?
2: Yeah. I don't know if they just let it be like person to person. Like you just hit up an artist and say, hey, I did a remix. I want, uh, I only want 20% if it blows up. Hey, or man. whether or not like there's going to be some lawyer that's like, okay, across the board, remixes are worth one. You get one third as the remix artist and two thirds goes to the actual artist. Like,
0: oh, you know the lawyers are going to get involved. There's always going to be a middleman trying to negotiate and having a, having a, total fit about the whole thing (laughs) just all right well either way we should get that started and uh apart from that that's all i have do you guys have anything else
1: um no just a quote to take us out on because tuesday has been 10 years since the passing of steve jobs this past tuesday oh it's your boyfriend yep love (laughs) steve jobs genius so obviously (laughs) i got a good steve jobs quote here um and he said You can't just ask customers what they want and then try to give it to them. By the time you get it built, they'll want something new. So in honor of us talking a little bit about marketing and sales today, I thought it was perfect. Well, I like
0: that stuff. Uh, Someone, I got a complimentary one for that and I'm paraphrasing here and then we can take it out. I don't want to steal your spotlight, but someone said, if everyone understands the project you're building, you're already too
1: late. I was like, oh, it's a good point. That is extremely accurate because if they already understand it, (laughs) <laughs> they're gonna get it and be bored with it you want to show people something new that hey, they don't
0: understand you're probably not actually solving a problem at that point but i don't know all right matt you got anything else nope i'm all good okay let's run it out have an awesome weekend we'll see you tuesday morning per usual see
1: you tuesday